Let, let me pray. Um, as my heart is heavy, and I didn't get a lot of, I was just running around today. Uh, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that the word of God is uh, both alive and it's active, that it brings us to repentance, and that your kindness is written throughout the entire word of God, and that we can experience your power just by opening it up, just by peeling it open, and we get to experience your power in your presence. And so if you would just delight us in your presence this morning, uh, would you just bring us in, would you usher us in, because we don't really have the power to do that ourselves. A lot of us come in just, just broken and ashamed of who we are and ashamed of what we see, and we just need you to minister to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the fifth installment of Mark. You have made it all the way to the five-week Mark. Anybody? See what I did there? All right. You'll catch up. Uh, we start also studying in MC's uh, missional communities this week. We start studying uh, Mark together. And also your kids right now are studying the same topic that we're studying up here. We're doing our best to just kind of keep it uh, on the slot here. Why, why we're doing that is because we love the word of God. We believe the word of God should lead this church. We believe God's voice should lead this church. We believe that, that if we study a book of the Bible verse by verse and in context, then you'll learn how to go home and go into your prayer closet or go to the coffee shop and learn how to study the Bible by yourself. We believe that every follower of Jesus should learn how to spend time with God by themselves. And so we are all in on Mark in, in, in like three or four different formats. So go with us. Just take a risk. Take a risk, start studying the Bible with us, study ahead of time, show up with your utensils like we talk about every week, and just get ready to, to, to really bring in the Word of God. And today we're in uh, Mark 1, 14 through 15. Mark 1, 14 through 15, if you want to turn there with me. Now after John was arrested, now after John was arrested, y'all know John, right? John is John the Baptist, we've been talking about him for weeks. Uh, he's the one baptizing people and preparing the way for Jesus. He gets arrested by Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is a hater, doesn't like him, doesn't like the kingdom he preaches, uh, doesn't like the God that he talks about. And so Herod the Tetrarch uh, takes him down and, and brings him to jail. Jesus came into Galilee, next verse, or actually second part of the first verse. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So here's the baton pass. John's preaching. John's doing a good job. John goes to jail. Jesus takes over. It's just a quick baton pass, and Jesus is going to preach the same thing. Now, I beat this stick with a point, so I'm not going to... I beat this point with a stick, excuse me. <laughs> a stick has a point sometimes. I beat this point with a stick so many times, so I'm not going to stay here for long. But you see that the man who's faithful goes to jail. Super faithful. And he goes to jail. And he's going to be beheaded because Herod the Tetrarch really likes this girl that dances for him. Uh, you could even call her a seductive dancer. He likes her, says, I'll give you whatever, whatever you want. And what does she want? She wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so Herod gives it. So, uh, but I be, I've beat this. Like, I've, I've talked about this early and often. Just because you give your life to Jesus, just because you start serving Jesus, just because you're following Jesus, just because you're being faithful does not mean you're going to be hashtag blessed. It just doesn't mean that. You could run into trouble immediately. You could, you could run into the opposite if you're being faithful. John is very faithful, one of the most faithful men in all the word of God, one of the most faithful men in the kingdom of all time, and yet he finds himself here. Uh, again, I've talked about that early and often, so I won't stay there too long. What I will say is, again, 
John the Baptist is preaching. Jesus is prepping. Last week we talked about Jesus prepping in the wilderness uh, 40 days, fasting, praying, denying Satan. He's prepping for the game. So he's on the training pitch, and he's getting ready for the, for the real game. And, and as soon as Jesus is ready, John the Baptist goes to jail. The baton is passed. All right, you need to know this because this is very in, in, important. We're, we're, we're going to watch the Super Bowl today, even if we don't want to, right? And so most of you don't want an illustration about the Super Bowl. I won't give you a whole illustration. What I, what I will say, well, first I'll say this. I started a new club. It's called WAP. WAP. And it's Haters United Against Patriots. So if you want, I got T-shirts. Okay, but you got to pay for them. I'm not just giving free T-shirts out. It's not going to be a gun. I'm not going to, and there's a T-shirt. That's not how it's going. You got to pay for it. Okay, but you can join WAP if you want to. There's a saying in football, and it's next man up. If someone goes down, it's next man up. This is next man up. John's down. Jesus is next man up. Now just imagine being John in a cold jail cell. What are you thinking? I'm thinking, now hold up, God. I need to be out there. I'm a big deal. I'm baptizing more people than anybody knows. They gave me the name John the Baptist. That's how amazing I am. I got this whole ministry. I got a bunch of followers. Who's going to do this if I don't do this? That's what I'm thinking if I'm John. Even if I know Jesus is coming after me and just think maybe, maybe, he, maybe this is a different ministry, but you're thinking, I, I built this thing. I, I'm critical to this thing. Ever thought about that? This strikes a chord with me, um, and it may with a few, a few of you. Here, here's the chord. You'll get good at serving God. Do you know that? You can get good at it. You can get really good at leading people. People like you. They look to you. People need you. Maybe you even like that. I liked that for the first year and a half of ministry. I really liked that people needed me. And then, I, and then I'm like, oh, no, people need me all the time. Uh, and, it, and it got old really quick. But, but maybe you like that. Maybe it's, man, people need me. I'm, I'm the critical cog in this machine. And maybe it's not ministry. Maybe it's your job. Because everything you do is to Jesus, right? Everything you do is unto the Lord, right? So it's for the glory of God. Maybe it's a job. You're the one who built this. You're good. You've gotten good at serving God. You, you ever been there? And then, and then all of a sudden, God wants to take you out of it. He wants to move you on to something else. This week, actually, um, the church that I planted in Michigan, they, like, we, we renovated a banquet hall. We went from a house to a bar to a small church. Uh, we renovated a banquet hall. And this week, someone just came. They just wanted to buy the banquet hall for, for like twice of what it's worth. And so the church sold it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so happy for you. But inside I'm thinking, no, I'm not happy for you. Like, I I laid that floor by myself. Like, we built that church as a team, and y'all just going to go sell it? It's like when you go away to college and your family just sells the house. You're like, that's the house I grew up in. But I'm so happy for you parents as you move into a small condo. You know what I mean? This is is how it felt. You get to a place where you feel like, but, 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 but what I built is important. What I built is necessary. What I built, you need. Maybe it's not in a ministry. Maybe it's not in a job. Maybe it's in your parenthood. Everything about this in your parenthood, you're like, I'm the protector of my kids. Now, God is calling them to something. He, you know that he's, he wants to bring them into something. He wants them to try something new. He wants them to risk a little bit. But you're like, no, those are my kids. I'm their protector. And even the words have come out of your mouth. The words have come out of your mouth. You said, I know that God loves my kids more than me. You preach that to people. But then it comes down to it, and you're supposed to release your kids somewhere. I don't know what it is, but you're supposed to release your kids somewhere. And you're like, hold up. No, I'm, I'm mommy. I'm daddy. I'm the protector. 
Maybe it's with your work-life balance. God wants to draw you back a little bit from this powerful thing that you're working on, and he wants you to serve at church. He wants you to go to a missional community. What even is a missional community? He wants you to feed people during the week instead. He wants you to give more time to your family. You're like, hold up, Jesus, I'm important. I run, who's going to run the board meeting if I'm not there? Who's going to do this with excellence if I'm not there? Maybe it's with your work-life balance. But, but you've communicated to God in yourself, in your quiet time, from the secret, secret space in your heart, um, this big idea. This big idea is that you are the king. You are the queen. This is your kingdom. You are the critical and most necessary portion of this kingdom. That's what you've communicated. We talked about this last week. It's this subtle lie that, that Satan plants inside of our soul, and it grows this complicated rooting system underneath the surface, and you can't even see the roots, and at some point it just pops up, and this, this tree is big, it's thick, it's old, you didn't even know it was there, and now you can't push it over. And the tree says this, you are the king, you are the queen, this is your kingdom. This is what God is proving through Jesus and John. This is God's kingdom. It's not yours. This is God's kingdom. He can replace you like that. And not only can he replace you like that, but Jesus is not just a formidable replacement. Jesus is a much better John. He's going to save the world. This is what God is saying. He can replace you. This is his kingdom. He taught you how to lead well. He taught you how to love well, serve well. That's great. Now he's moving you on to something else. Jesus has never done. He's never done. He's never, he's never just settled with you. He's got edges to round out. He's got, look, the, the word of God said, Jesus says, he says, I want you to be perfect, therefore, because your father in heaven is perfect. Can any of us reach perfection? No, but we are on a lifelong journey of Jesus perfecting us. The, the process is called sanctification in the theological term. It's just, it's, he's, still, he's still working on you. He's still shaping you. He's got something next for you, but you have to come to the realization, this is not your kingdom. See, in a kingdom, it's very clear who the king is and who the servant is. And you're the servant, not the king. Not only that, our king became king by being a servant first. This is not your kingdom. You also have to come to the realization that you might be holding on to the importance of your past and it's hindering you from the mission of the future. I've done that. You hold on to the mission of your past, uh, the, the, the importance of your past. I, I feel like I was pretty good back then. And really God is trying to bring you into something bigger, stronger, newer, and you can't even get into the future. You can't even get to the future mission because you're so caught up in that. God is not done with you. He's going to move you from one thing to the next. He's going to move you from one place to the next. Are you ready for that? Because it's not your kingdom. So God establishes this is God's kingdom. This is not yours. His reign is his reign. And not only does Jesus take the baton, but watch this. He's going to preach the same stuff, same message. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That's the good news of Jesus. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That sound familiar? That's because it's an echo. It's an echo from John. Let's put, up, let's put up John in Matthew. In those days, John came, uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 1, Matthew 3. Same words. It's not like they got together. They didn't get together and go, what should we preach? Uh, Jesus isn't listening to John's podcast getting lazy, not wanting to preach his own stuff. I don't know. How many of you know that sometimes God needs to tell you something twice? Anybody? 
How many of you know sometimes God needs to tell you something twice? He, he saves the critical stuff for telling it to you twice because he needs you to know this, and you're not getting it, you're not listening, you're not paying attention, you're on your phone, you're not listening to God at all. God needs to tell you the same thing twice. Like, I used to love uh, flying. I used to love going on planes. Uh, like, the, maybe the first 15 times, it was really cool. I'm like, there's no kids. I'm going to walk through this hallway. Like, a hallway of, of silence is important to you when you have three kids. I'm going to walk through this hallway. I'm going to get my own latte. There's no kid asking me for a scone or a cake pop. Nothing. I'm going to get my own latte. Maybe I'll go crazy. I'll get a Frappuccino, extra frap. I'm just doing my thing out there by myself. It was really cool. My wife just did that past week. She loved it. She, there was spiritual healing coming from the heavens as she got her latte by herself. It was amazing. And it, and it is amazing the first 15 times or so. But then it just gets old. And if you're like me, you notice everything. Anne hates this about me. <laughs> you notice everything. I do. I'm sorry. I notice everything. I do. And, and so I notice when I'm flying, they tell you the critical stuff twice. So not only is there a buckle up sign and it tells you how to do it, but somebody gets up and they go, please take the left buckle and put it in the right, as if you've never buckled the seatbelt before. And we go like this. And everybody's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? On your seat, it says this can be used as a floating device. By the way, there is no proof of any of this. Like, can you, have you ever seen somebody floating on the, no, okay. Like, if you're in this death tube going five million miles per hour toward the, plummeting towards the earth, it's not going to happen, okay? So anyways, it, it says it on your seat. This is a floating device, and then someone gets up. Your seat is a floating device. They tell you the critical stuff twice, right? It's important. If you're married, he or she will tell you the critical stuff twice. Hey, babe, Annabelle's piano is at four. You're like, I know. And then you get in the car and you cancel your four o'clock appointment. You're like, my bad, I, I, I double booked, right? I've done that plenty of times before. By your lack of laughter, maybe you haven't, but I have. Maybe you've never been married and it was your mom. Don't put the whites in with the colors. I know, mom. And there you are, just bringing it out. You're like, oh, shoot, everything was about to be pink, right? You need to be told the critical stuff twice. How many of you know that God tells us the critical stuff twice? Like, you'll be in here, we'll spend the whole day on grace. And you're sort of getting it. You're sort of listening. And then you get in the car. And it's like, hallelujah, grace like rain. You're like, oh, yeah. Right? God tells you the, the critical stuff twice. Or you're in a conversation with someone, and that someone is just kind of rebuking you. They're like, you have to stop being so anxious about everything. You have to pray more than your anxiety. And they're preaching at you, and you're like, yeah, I know, I know. And you're actually in a Bible plan. Maybe you're going verse by verse through the Bible, like on one of those plans on your app, and that day happens to be Matthew 6, later on that day. Do not be anxious about anything. God cares about the birds. Why wouldn't he care about you? And there you are crying, you're journaling. God, you love me so much, you tell me the same thing twice. God knows he needs to tell you the same stuff twice. So here's the critical stuff today. Because this is the main preaching point, right? I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a class for this thing we call preaching. It's called homiletics. It's the art of preaching. I know you, you like, Justin just gets up there and talks, uh, and he only works on Sundays. I get that you think that. Uh, but there's like an art to this. There's a process. And, and it's called the art of preaching. It's homiletics. And, and there's a main principle. That main principle is you have to have a big idea. The one thing from the scripture is that you need people to take home. It's called the big idea. Here's the big idea. Like they, they, they told us what the big idea is, and the big idea is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's around. 
You can access the kingdom of God here on earth. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till you die and go to heaven and then you get to experience God's mercy and love and no tears and no mourning and his justice. You don't have to wait till you get to that point. The kingdom of heaven's here. It's now. You can touch it. And all you have to do is repent to prepare for it. Now, I know we talked a lot about repentance three weeks ago, but sometimes God needs to tell us the same stuff twice. So we're going to talk about repentance today. We're going to break it down even further and why we repent and what what the whole point of repentance is. Because I want to show you the onslaught first. Like, this is not a New Testament idea. This is an Old Testament idea. This is a God idea. This is an all-Scripture idea. Let me show you the onslaught of Scripture starting in Jeremiah. And I'm going to go quick on you, Peter, here. Uh, After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breasts. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Okay, so, so I'm a mess. I'm shameful. I'm gross. Here's what I do. I repent. Okay, let, let, let's go on more. This is Isaiah. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, same word as repentance, and rest, you shall be saved. That's big. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Same word again as repentance. It's the Hebrew word for uh, for. Um, uh, returning. Next one. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be, I love that. There's no list. You don't have a list. God doesn't have a journal of your sin. It's wiped out like a wave that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You ever, you ever just been repenting? You ever just there confessing your sins to God? You're crying it out and then afterwards you, you, you feel like you could float like a butterfly. Because God has freed you. Times of refreshing will come for the Lord. Next one. Repent then and turn to God. Oh, no, for John came to you to show you the way. Uh, yeah, okay, repent. Uh, for John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. Here's what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven has a parade. It's just like, it's just like the Thanksgiving parade. Snoopy's leading. And some of the people who are holding Snoopy are the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They're not the religious people. They're not the people who thought themselves as holy and amazing. They're the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the people who came to the end of themselves and repented and in humility gave themselves to God. I love that. I love that picture. Next one. I'm just going to go by what you put up next. Go ahead. <laughs> Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. Like, if you want your relationships to produce good things, godly things, if you want your life to produce godly things, you need to keep repentance at all your parties. You've got to keep repentance at all of your small groups, at all of your events. Repentance has to be your buddy. You ain't got no BFF. Your BFF, repentance. I think that this has been kind of an ugly idea, right? It's been like this judgmental, like you see it on signs, repent. And you're like, that guy hates me. Repentance has gotten this ugly idea. But, but if you want to rescue your momentum of your relationship with God... You have to see how beautiful this word is. Let me, let me break this word down. This is the Greek word. I'm going to have you say this with me. Matanoia. This is the Greek word, matanoia. Can you all say that with me? Like, count of three. One, two, three. Matanoia. Okay, I need you all to do that with me one more, more time. One, two, three. Matanoia. And it's to change one's mind. So if you put that together with returning, uh, really what, what's happening is it's your general bent to walk away from God. It's your general bent to move away from God. God wants your mind to change, and he wants you to turn back to God. That's the big idea. 
Like maybe your whole life is walking away. Maybe it's just one sin. Maybe it's one addiction. Whatever it is, you're wandering away, and the only way back is ma'anoia. It's the changing of your mind and the returning to God. And this is, again, again, this is beautiful. This is what the onslaught of scriptures are saying. Repentance is good. Repentance is, is, is joy-filled. At the, at the other side of repentance is salvation and grace and forgiveness. Let me make some bold statements about repentance today. Super bold statements. Just two of them. I think you're going to be blown away that maybe I even said this. Here's the first one. It's going to be up there for you. Uh, repentance saved my marriage. Repentance saved my marriage. And you can ask my wife. Don't ask. You shouldn't want 10 people asking her afterwards. But... <laughs> If you ask my wife, she would tell you, yeah, repentance definitely saved our marriage. Last week we talked about how once in a while uh, we get in what's called uh, intense fellowship, which is what pastors call fighting, okay? We fight as a couple. Uh, We fight um, about dumb things, about emotional things, about good things, about bad things. We fight, though, right? Because we're deeply in love Uh, We're deeply passionate people. We're in this together forever. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. There is just our tunnel, and we better light that thing up. And and, and sometimes in lighting that thing up, we fight. It just happens. We can call it intense fellowship. We can call it fighting, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you You can just know that the pastor and his wife fight. And sometimes I like to just tell you that stuff so that you know. Like, it's okay. Your marriage isn't ending. It's all right if you fight. Your marriage isn't worse than all the other relationships on the planet. They're just hiding it. Sometimes I like to just be honest up here because it gives you strength to be honest with yourself. So I'm being honest with you. At one point, and I, I'm pretty sure would have hopped out the car while it was moving. Like, I don't know, I don't know what we were, again, we have no clue what we're fighting about. But we're fighting, uh, and, and, and I'm pretty sure if I wasn't going any less than 15 miles per hour, she would have been out like Bruce Willis. She would have done like some sort of diehard role. I don't know what her plan was, but she's like, get me out of here. I don't even like you right now, right? We, like, we've been in that place. We've been in that place. And repentance saved my marriage. If we were still married without repentance, we'd probably be some sort of glorified roommates. Because here's what happens. And married couples, you've been here, and if you're not married, you're going to be there. Um, Y'all will fight, right? She'll be upstairs clinking the pots and pans around. Like, why are the pots and pans so loud right now? She'll be up there just doing her thing. Babe, are you mad? No. Oh, okay. Uh, that was a tenacious no. And then I'll get mad at her for being mad at me. Right? This is what happens. I don't know what you're mad about. It just, it just goes on and on. But I'm going to read this book. And when I flip these pages, I'm going to make you know that I'm mad. Like I'm flipping the pages with anger. But then we got to go to bed. All right? So now what? We got we a rule. We go to bed together. And we say, I love you before bed, no matter what's going on. That's, that's one of our rules. But I'm gripping the side of the bed. She's gripping the side of the bed. It's just a queen size. But there's like a Grand Canyon in the middle of us. I'm hu- I got one leg off the bed, right, touching the wall. Like, whatever it is to get far away from you. We're ripping covers and stuff, right? Like, here's the moment. Married couples, this is hitting way too, it's way too close to home right now. This is the moment, though, right? Because it's dark. There's nothing else. I can either let God sift my heart or not. And I'm, I'm pretty okay at this. So God will start sifting my heart. And I'll do it nice and gentle. Son, son, what you said was not okay. Son, what you're doing to her, the way you're treating her, son, the, the way that you're not treating her is not okay. It's not like me. That's not how I would treat her. He's nice and gentle. 
And what is he doing? He's changing my mind. And then at some point, my mind will be changed, and I'll I'll be ready. And I'll reach across the bow, the Grand Canyon, and I'll touch her back. Her back is so tight. It's so angry. You can feel the anger on her back, right? That thing is like this. I'll reach across the bow, and I'll touch her back, and I'll say, babe, I'm sorry, I should not have done that. I should not have said that. And then the muscles in her back will loosen up. And she'll cry, she'll repent, I'll cry, I'll repent. And then we'll wrap each other up. And guess what? We don't want to do that again. We don't, we don't want to hurt each other anymore because we love each other and we're in this thing forever. Repentance and the forgiveness that follows is what will save your marriage. Is that a bold statement? Here's, here's an equally bold statement. Repentance will save your relationship with God. And maybe I should say it this way. It'll save the momentum of your relationship with God. Because look, Jesus is salvation. Jesus died for us, resurrected for us. That, that's our salvation. We can't save ourselves. It's by grace through faith alone that we are saved. But repentance is what will save the momentum of your relationship with God. You want depth in your relationship with God? You want to grow with God? You want to be with God? You want to love God? You want, you want this to not be uh, where you're faking it? If, if you want that, you need repentance in your life and you need it close by. Repentance will save your relationship with God. It's just the bottom line. right? There's, there's this bent and this lean that we have uh, and it's to wander away from God, isn't it? That's why uh, Robert Robinson, you guys, you guys probably, if you, if you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't, that's okay. There's this, there's this psalm out there, there's this song out there that goes, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Like, take my heart and seal it. Seal it for thine courts above. It's Robert Robinson, terrible name, brilliant, holy genius. For sure. That's our, that's our, that's our bent. That's our lean. This is the way that Paul puts it. I mean, this, like, just think about this, by the way. Our lean is the Holocaust. Our lean is, is to murder a generation of children. That's our lean. Can you think about this? Our, our lean is, is the slavery in America. Like, this is what we, these are the things we accomplish as humans if we're not careful, if we don't have repentance in our life. We're prone to wander away, and not only that... Like, repentance is on this gradual scale. Like some dude just came out this week, and he's like, I think we should be able to kill babies after they're born. Like, well, hold on, we, we didn't even get over the last one. We didn't get, we didn't get over full term yet. You are governor of Virginia, or where the heck you're from, and now we're going to kill babies after they're born? Because you don't want them? Like, this is our lean. This is where we're going. Romans 7, this is Paul, and Paul says it way too theologically, so I'm just going to put it in the message format, which is a... a it's an idea for idea rather than verse by verse. It's, um, it's a different version of the scriptures. It happens so regularly that it's, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's command. I do. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me, uh, parts of me covertly rebel, like underneath the surface. And just when I least expect, expect that they take charge. But this is Paul. Dude is shipwrecked for Jesus, bitten by snakes for Jesus. Dude is single for Jesus. He's wandering the world, being in prison for Jesus. And he's like, yo, sin takes over me. And I can't even, I can't even do anything about it. Like Paul was our one hope at no sin besides Jesus. And he can't do it. This is, this is our bent. This is our lean. And God says, here's, here's all you got. Repent. That's not a 15-step plan. You ain't got to make the people at church like you. You don't have to read 15 books. You don't have to go to church 
50 out of the 52 weeks of the year for God to like you. You don't have to read all of the Bible for God to like you. You don't need to do any of these things. It's not complicated. The only thing you have to do is repent. Turn your heart to God. Be, be, let, let your mind be changed and return back to God to where he wants you in the first place. That's it. Now that we've stripped out some of the mystery of this word, let, let's, let's see what it gets us. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. What time? What time? And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the reason we're repenting is because the time has come. And again, the natural question is, what time has come? And so I'm just going to kind of break this down for you really quick. It's an important time. Uh, this is just a basic, uh, and Lewis came out to me earlier. He got a different version of it. But it's the basic, uh, it's the basic walk through creation all the way through uh, revelation. It's the basic walk of humanity and Jesus and God. Okay, so the timeline looks like this. There's creation. Hello. Uh, there's sin. Hello. Like they had one job. That's what they did. Again, that's our bent. That's our lean. Okay, after there's sin, we need a savior. There's an anticipation and a need for a savior. And that anticipation word is huge, right? Because th- there's hundreds of years of people prophesying, this is where Jesus is going to come from. This is where he's going to be born to. Uh, this is how he's going to love. The- these are the things he's going to do. This is how he's going to die. Th- there's lots of anticipation. And then there's Jesus. The time. That's the time. Kingdom of God at hand. He leaves, gives us the Holy Spirit. This is what it's saying. The time is here. It's now. You get to live in it. God is saying, Jesus is saying, look, the time is now. All of this is leading up to the time. All of this is in response to the time. But this is the time. You need to pay attention. God is right here. Do you want him? You can have him. You can have him. And again, all you have to do is repent. People have been really trying to make this complicated for years. Like, even in Jesus' time. There's not three billion rules, folks. It's love God, love people. <laughs> That's how God shrinks down the entire life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself. But the Pharisees in Jesus' time are making stuff up. This is what we do. We make stuff up. Your parents made stuff up. It's okay to dance. All right? If you smoke, we're praying for you, but you ain't going to hell. It's okay. Now, we're, we're praying for you. We'll help you out of there, whatever. I don't, I don't know why I chose smoking, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Parents just made stuff up. If you cuss, well, hell is hot. <laughs> Sorry, kiddo. Like, whoa, whoa, like when? Since when? When did God say any of that? So the Pharisees in God's time are just making stuff up. So I don't know if you know this, but in God's law, the, the Sabbath was supposed to be kept holy, right? That's what God said. Keep the Sabbath holy. So the Pharisees are getting around a table, uh, these religious leaders, and they're like, okay, how do we keep it holy? Well, we can't work. And if we work, then... We're going out, right? So we got we got to make sure uh, we don't work, all right? So then there's the philosophizer of every group. You guys know this at a meeting. There's always the philosophizer. Can't stay on task. He stands up and goes, "Hold on, what is work?" And the the minds are blown of everybody at the table. What is work? Oh, that's a good question. And so the Pharisees are sitting around like fools, and they're like, "Okay, wh- what really is work?" So they're making up rules. You couldn't tie a knot on the Sabbath. So people on on like Friday are like tying knots like crazy. They're tying knots for their boats. They're like, we can't do it tomorrow, so we got to do it today. You couldn't go three quarters of a mile on the Sabbath, or that was sin. Isn't that crazy? So people on the Sabbath are walking a half a mile to meet their friend. Their friend is walking a half mile. They're like, hey, buddy, miss you. I can't go any further because that's breaking God's law. 
making stuff up. They couldn't pick heads of grain, nothing. Jesus is like, you fools tie weights around people's necks that you can't even carry. We make stuff up. Look, God did not make this complicated. He said, I just want you to return to me. Just confess, just repent, just turn back to me. And look, confession is not repentance. Repentance is not confession. Did you know that? And confession is also not the beginning of repentance. It's the end. Confession is supposed to be what repentance reproduces. Like, it's already there. It's already happening. Your mind has already changed. Blah. It's like throw up. Excuse me, that's, that's gross. But, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it just comes out because your heart is so broken. You need to tell somebody. You need to tell God. This is what God is asking for. Repentance. Not complicated. Uh, my wife and I love to host. We're hosting tonight. Um, if you would like to come over for the Super Bowl, everybody is invited because that is how we do. All right? Just come and ask me for my address. I'll hit you up. We'll make this thing happen. I don't care if you've been here for a day, 20 minutes. You're invited to my crib. Sorry, babe. Uh, we got a lot of people coming over tonight. Here we go. <laughs> Let's get a bigger TV. <laughs> Let's put the tithe money in the tithe box. I need a new TV. Um, but see, so, so you're, all, you're all invited. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, we love to host. Like, we, we buy places or rent places based on our desire to host. Because we believe that we should be a place where people come, they feel safe, they can pray, they can have community, they can laugh. Uh, and so that's, that's how we arrange what we're going to do. The problem is we have a pretty busy life as it is. Right? We got three kids. We both got jobs. It just gets, it gets hectic. Uh, when, when all of this is going on. So typically, we have what I call 30 minutes of chaos. Anybody know about this? You got people coming over, 30 minutes of chaos. Anne puts on like her hazmat suit. She heads into the bathroom. She's spraying everything, right? She's wiping down everything. She's like, I think I got it, right? She just, it's like all the kids have splattered stuff all over the wall. We're cleaning everything. I'm wiping down the counters. The kids are like, what can we do to help? I'm like, just stand there and don't sneeze. Don't pull out a toy. Don't twitch. Nothing, right? Just stand there because you're going to make a mess by existing, right? So we're, we're putting our kids in a closet, right? We're getting out the Bose, like, sound machine, and we're turning that on for atmospheric music. We're mopping for the first time in six months. It's 30 minutes of chaos, right? We've, we're finding candles we never knew we had from Christmas. We're like, we don't care if it's cranberry. Put it out there. It smells better than we smell, right? We just, that's what you do. 30 minutes of chaos. And what's ironic about that is you're prepping for someone to come over. And really what you're doing is you're prepping to make them feel like your life is not chaos. You ever think about how ironic that is? You're prepping in 30 minutes of chaos to prove to them my life is clean, it smells good, and my kids stand still when they're at home. <laughs> it's one big lie. And this is what we do with Christianity. Like if I could say it plain and simple, Jesus is coming over. This is what it says. The kingdom of God is at hand. Two, this is that you can access the kingdom whenever you want. So here's what we do. We put on our hazmat suit. We start lighting candles. Jesus, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Do you love me enough? Is my sin too much? It doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for 25 years. You still think your shame wins, even though you know Jesus wins. Here's what I'm telling you. Don't fluff the pillows. Don't fluff them. Don't light the candles. 
Just get along with God. Try this this week. And, and do a repentance write-up. Just write it all out. All the dirt. Start when you're three years old, when you remember. I remember my first sin when I was like five. I stole gum, and I ate gum during Thanksgiving dinner. Like just constant, I just 15 minutes of gum. I remember my first sin. I, I can repent of all that, though, from, from all the way back then. I just write it out. A repentance write-up. That's it. Don't hide it. Don't cover yourself. Don't come into church all put together. Don't come into church the, 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 the most clean looking that you've been all week even though you're miserable inside. Don't do it. Don't go to missional community just hiding your misery. No, no, God wants to love you. All you got to do is repent. You don't, have to, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to do A, B, and C. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to take communion for God to love you. You don't have to do any of this for God to love you. Just repent. Just get on your knees. Just walk back toward God and repent. Like, so, so here's the thing. When we host for missional community, we have missional communities on, on uh, Saturday mornings at 10.30 a.m., and some of y'all have been in my crib. You'll be there tonight if you want to come to, to, to watch the game. At 10.30 a.m., the sun is huge. It's huge. The windows are not, they're not floor to ceiling, but we have a great view, and it's, the sun just comes beating in on everything. And when everybody's coming over, you can see everything. You can see the thumbprints on our, on our, on our, steel, you know, our steel refrigerator. It looks like zombies were like, Rawr! like on our, like, what happened to our fridge? The rest of the day, it's fine. It, the, the wood has thumbprints all over it. Like, who's grabbing stuff down here? But the light brings to, to fruition everything that is there. And all of that is okay. Right? All that mess is okay. Stop putting yourself together. Let God bring his light and reveal everything that is broken inside of you. And he'll heal you and love you and forgive you and bandage it up and it'll save your marriage It'll save your life. It'll save your relationship with God. It'll save your purity. It'll save your, your lack of momentum. It'll bring everything to Jesus, and Jesus will heal everything. The kingdom of God is at hand. You can have it. I want you to pray with me today, and I want you to just be honest with yourself. I want you to let God see it all. Why don't you close your eyes? We sort of did this a couple weeks ago, um, but I want to do it now, too. Only you know this, and only God knows this, but what is broken inside of you? What do you need to repent of? Just have a moment of silence. What, what do you need to repent of? Did you treat somebody horribly? Like we talked about from the top, are you judging and not serving as opposed to serving and not judging? Is it an addiction? Anything that is left in the darkness will fester, will grow roots, and will kill you. You need to bring it out in the light. Whether it's to somebody here or to Jesus right now, bring it out in the light. Let's pray. God, would you reveal the hearts of the people right now? Reveal the hearts of the people. And cover their shame up with your love. Cover their shame up with your love, God. Your love is strong enough. Your love is good enough. Your love wins. Your love heals. Your gospel is, is enough. We are enough. In you, we are sons and daughters. We are free. We are loved. We can win. 
God, this morning, I pray that we would win. I know that Satan is trying to bring up our sin. He's trying to drudge it up and tell us who we are. He's trying to define us by our sin. But no, 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 we win today. We win today in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. God, would you bring it all to light? Would you give us the strength to come out? And then would you heal the dirt that we bring to the light, the fingerprints, the brokenness, the lack of assurance, the fear? Would you win today, Jesus? We love you. We surrender to you because in you we are safe. In you we are safe. You know, I pray these things. Amen.